Welcome to another episode of the Local Podcast, a podcast about all things local, brought to you by the Wiregrass Local and Bar Media. What is up? It is episode 170 of the Local Podcast. This is Justin April sitting here with Janet and John from Embrace Alabama Kids. Um, they are a nonprofit that uh, was started by the Methodist Church in 1890-ish. And, yeah, you like that trivia right there. Everybody's that. nodding their heads like, oh, this dude knows what he's talking about. Um, I don't. It's still the regular Justin that doesn't know what he's talking about. But I do interview people that do know what they're talking about. You guys doing all right today? Doing just fine. Doing great. If you guys can't tell, Janet is the lady voice and John is not. Um, welcome to the local <laughs> podcast studio where everything's just fun all the time. It's, see, you guys were real chatty a minute ago. I told you the minute we started doing this with an official microphone, it was yeah. going to all go away. Um, no, we're glad to be here. We appreciate your time. Absolutely. We um, uh, Embrace Alabama Kids is actually new to John and I, I've been with the United Methodist Children's Home, which is now Embrace Alabama Kids yeah. since uh, 1999. So getting used to the new name is a little difficult myself. So. And I started in 2012. Uh, it's been, what, nine years? Yeah. And we were United Methodist Children's Home and recently just changed to Embrace Alabama Kids. So I'm trying to get used to seeing that as well. Um, yeah, dude, it's uh, changing names after being one thing forever. Like, I don't know if it was like for you, Janet. Are you married? I am. When you yeah. had to get your name changed and your license and all that stuff. Like, did you do all that? or? I did all that. Um, and, you know, but I think sort of the impetus behind changing our name has evolved over the years it was certainly hard for me to lose all that history with sure. the name but just right, trying to sign a check is it's, a nightmare <laughs> yes. you know what i mean like our name you've doesn't written the fit. same thing for so long <laughs> yes um and i still do i, I give people my email address and i still say umch.net but you know we started as an orphanage in selma outside of selma actually and um, although we are still very much a home and a place of healing and hope for all of our kids, we're not one location anymore. We're yeah. the whole state of Alabama. We're the Florida Panhandle, and we're much more than one single home. Um, we have actually we serve more families and children in our community-based programs than we do in residential care. Sure. Um, so it was just time, and had a little heartache over it, but we we reached out to a. a former alum of our Selma orphanage. Mm -hmm. um, she's an older woman, probably in her 90s now, and she sent us a very heartfelt letter about um, how she understood the need for the name change, even though that was where she grew up, sure. that, that we're much more than just one home in Selma. Absolutely. And, um, and John, of course, is the heart of our home here in um, Dothan, in the Wiregrass area, and so um, I think he's he he speaks to the home part, but we also have so much more to offer than just one home. Yeah. Like we've been behind the scenes chatting for an hour or so, just about anything and everything that mm -hmm. pops up. Um, which is very funny that you guys got very quiet the minute this record <laughs> button got hit. I mean, we knew um, it. <laughs> no, nah, I just like giving everybody a hard time. Um, we just did a feature on the event that you guys had at the country club. 
um, traveling mural project that was going on that's still going on where's it headed next i think the next stop is andalusia where we have a um large foster care program and Mm -hmm. a large intensive in-home services which is a a home-based program um it's one of my favorite programs but least known to anybody uh, where we receive referrals from department of human resources for families that are in danger of losing their children to foster care Mm -hmm. or the child's already in foster care and we're trying to get the child back home um i call my staff over there you know similar to the marines they're the front line of defense they practically move in with families and and take care of them where they are in the home to try to eliminate the safety issues eliminate whatever it is that is causing a barrier to to the child and the parent being together all those roadblocks got to get cleared away Mm -hmm. and they do a great job we've got um at any given time we're working with at least 46 families and those staff do an amazing job and again we also have a foster care program in andalusia we celebrated here um with the mural project what was that two weeks ago mm-hmm. about two weeks ago, or last week um just give the community an opportunity to see us a little bit more visually because we have a very large presence in the wiregrass area and as far as the programs and the families we serve this is really our largest concentration we serve um through our intensive in-home services over seven counties in this particular area mm-hmm. we have our residential group home for for young teen boys and uh, for older teen boys that are moving into independence and in college and then we have a large foster care program here and we also have a new program um, that's a home-based parents as first teachers where we go in and work from prenatal to five age five mm-hmm. teaching parents to be the child's first teacher so when they start kindergarten they're ready for they're school um, but it's more than just curriculum it's bonding it's important conversations about talking to your child, child development, looking for those milestones. Yeah. And so we've got an educator that's going into the homes here to do that. We love that program. Um, so we really do take, we, we like to say we take care of children from cradle to, to college yeah. and, and beyond. Because John can tell you, still getting calls from former residents that are in the Marines and the Army. They're in Hawaii and Germany and they call they need help they need copies of the driver's license they want to come home for christmas at so. four in the morning they're calling. <laughs> oh man yeah it's cool i mean that's that says a lot about you guys' character that people those those bonds and relationships are so strong that even after the i won't say allotted time to spend together but like even after when they would normally be involved with the program they still reach back out to you for anything from advice to approval at a certain point, I'm sure that has something to do with it as well. Well, we, we, we built that therapeutic rapport with them and, and that, that family rapport with the kids once they've uh, been placed. Once they get to my residential program, uh, which is the settlement, mm-hmm. um, once they're there, there's, there's normally been a fracture in, the, um, in, in, in their nucleus, family nucleus. Yeah. And we're the, we're the ones who put that cast around the kids and try to help the healing process take place. Sure. Um, well, as I said before, I've been there nine years um, with the help of uh, Jen. I, I have a good support of, of um, people that are above me uh, at corporate and uh, Janet and then uh, Kristen Alberta and uh, Dr. Blake Horn. They have a vision and, and our, our visions kind of sink. Mm-hmm. So um, once they get to me, um, what I try to do is, is bring these young men in uh, at the settlement. We're out on County Road 79 out behind the Dothan Airport. Oh, yeah. 
and uh, it's been out there since 1979 or eight or so. Mm-hmm. It's it's been out there quite a uh, quite a while. But once they once they get to me, what I do is try to put that cast around and try to first thing most of them coming in the shock because it's a shock to your conscience. You've been in the system or you, you're moved removed from mm-hmm. your parents. And I could only I can't even imagine being removed from my grandmother who, who raised me. But sure. um, I do know that uh, I was only a stone throw away from being a foster kid yeah. uh, per, per se and I, I basically I guess by the definition I was because the courts gave me and my sister uh, to to my, my grandmother mm-hmm. um, but once they get there I, I try to uh, build the, the the first thing is is trust kids a lot of these young men they have trust issues yeah so um, what I do is try to uh, one thing I do I never lie to them mm-hmm. I, I tell them it's not gonna be easy but if you give me an opportunity to uh, come into your life and, and, and show you that what I tell you is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, if I tell them something, I, I take that, that that's like, like Oak. Yeah. <laughs> if I tell it to you, I'm not going to go back on it. Yeah. Uh, I'll die trying. And, um, once you build that trust a little bit and they see that everything and what I do, the first thing and Janet and them laugh at me, I, I take a kid out and I just try to clothe him. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest thing is make him look like he wants to look yeah. or, or give him some you, you'd be amazed at what a pair of shoes will do for a kid's self-esteem or I've come jeans. out of deep depressions with a haircut and a shave before get the haircut <laughs> like for real the, the, and yeah. that helps the haircut and the shave so I, I spent a lot that's why I spent a lot of money on shaving and haircut materials when y'all be asking yeah. but the budget um, we're but, not going to talk about money <laughs> but, but once we get them there <laughs> I, I, I do that first and, and then um, our kids attend uh, Dale County uh, High School which is which is good for sure. for them because it's a smaller school. Mm-hmm. Um, they're real well, uh, Dr. Ben. Well, there's Baker. more opportunities when there's less students. And, and and Matt Humphreys works well with them. Um, we had Candace Blayton, who was the uh, what was she the um, counselor, and now we have Abby Saunders. They all do a good job with our kids, and our kids love going to school there. So once we get them there, we we try to work on their self esteem academics, sure. and then we put them in some type of sporting event, mm-hmm. which that helps, and then cultural outings we do with them that helps complete try to make a well-rounded yeah, young man absolutely. uh and, and that that's that seems to work we've got a pretty good success rate um i think yeah i think john and his staff do a good job building the proverbial village for a child that came in with no village whatsoever yeah. and understanding that people can be there to support you even if they're not bro- you know brother sister mm-hmm. blood related that's one of those things like with somebody like john that can create a better a better environment and a better upbringing situation than even just being at home with your parents that are both drowning in work trying to make ends meet Mm -hmm. there's so many so many different um variables that go into why a child ends up in foster care that no two kids are the same unless they're siblings usually Mm -hmm. um and so you've got to treat those individuals as very much individual it's the same thing as like like i was saying earlier i might have the flu or i might have a broken leg or i might be exhausted and tylenol might fix some of that but it's not going to fix all of it so you can't just blanket treat an entire uh home like that you know what i mean no every kid is 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 has their own individual um way of being treated for sure uh, um I, one of the biggest things i have to in uh, part to our kids is they, they always get caught up on this fairness and some of the staff at times uh, uh, fair and um, and I explained to to the kids one time that fairness is relative sure. what's fair for you is not fair for me if you're missing a leg 
and I give you a crutch and a, a go kart to get around on. It's not. It's, you can't say it's not can't fair. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you can't say well it's not fair because Justin has a go kart and 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 you gave him some extra stuff and time to complete and I don't. Well, you don't. You're not saddled with the same handicap sure. he is. So what's fair for you is not fair for him, and it's, it's relative because every kid is given what they need to succeed, and yeah. what what you need may not be what Janet needs. Exactly. Or I need. Yeah. And that's what you have to kind of. And once they get that out of their minds, mm-hmm. they can kind of progress. Well, not only that, like when you put a lot of people in the same living situation that creates a family bond whether they realize it or not Mm -hmm. so if you go in and i would have to imagine there's trust issues out of the gate like any other room i've seen the real world i know these fools ain't getting along out of the gate with everybody you know (laughs) not at all but especially if you go in there by yourself and like with me like when i was a kid i was never in foster care but i was definitely staring down the barrel of it um I was always in trouble at school. Like I ended up having to sign contracts with principals saying if I screwed up one more time, I was out <laughs> for the rest of the year and would have to either pay for HA or some other kind of privatized schooling. But they were like, you can't be acting like this and still coming to school every day. Like we're not, you can only go to the club and act a fool so many times before they stop you at the door. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I think we we have really built a program model for all of our programs um, around being trauma informed and realizing that mm-hmm. no child acts out just because they just feel like acting out bored, yeah. and um, there's always a reason behind it mm-hmm. and getting them to trust you enough to help us figure out that reason is where John and his staff do a great job and and then you know teenagers are just teenagers and sure. trying to educate people that um, just because they're a foster child doesn't make being a teenager behavior worse. Uh, you know, it's like, well, yeah. he's a foster child and he's acting out. Well, <laughs> no, he's a teenager and yeah, he's, he's acting out, yeah. you know. So um, they do a great job with that. We've we've had a really um, great experience with the boys out there growing up. We've They're attending college. They're getting certifications, um, welding, HVAC. We really, mm-hmm. if they're not college material, um it's we really push a career or a, yeah. a, a certification a situation and a lot of them you know walk away making more money than we do yeah that's the thing too <laughs> like people don't realize that like um i don't know if you guys follow killer mike i do um, I, i've talked i've seen it michael render he mm-hmm. he did a show called trigger warning on netflix and each one's about an hour and one of them he did was how the education system was not necessarily firing on all cylinders necessarily mm-hmm. And so his model was basically the way he sees it is you go to school from the age four to 16 in some cases, four to 24 in some cases. But a lot of times you get judged before you even get into that real academia of things. Like when you're still learning shapes and colors and all this, like depending on where you are developmentally, which could come from all sorts of different variables. Mm -hmm. Um, you could be on a completely different level than somebody else for no real reason at all that anybody just passing by would notice. Um, What he was saying is instead of telling kids to like, you should try to be the president or you should try to be an astronaut or you should try to be a brain surgeon. You should try to be a plumber. You should try to be an electrician. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got, everybody lives with a toilet in their house. Mm Mm-hmm. That's where that's going to screw up eventually. Somebody's going to need to fix it. Why not you? 
somebody's going to be able to charge what they want at a certain point because all of our trades have been almost criminalized because if you don't have that college diploma, yeah. like you might not be perceived as as good as somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like I dropped out of college uh, as many times as I enrolled. And I don't mind saying like, while that experience was invaluable to me, invaluable to me, like the, the system was not like I learned what I needed to learn from the people I needed to learn it from. And very little of that came from a textbook, Mm. but different people learn from different ways. And some kids that grow up differently than I did don't have a problem. Like they, they enjoy being led and they enjoy having that safety infrastructure of always having that solid, like Mm -hmm. career path Mm -hmm. where me, I'm just a dog chasing cars. (laughs) And luckily I've been fast enough to catch a few. Gotcha. Yeah, we we really um, we really do a good job, I think, identifying those individualized needs and and working to get them where they need to be, and building a support system beyond twenty one when they're emancipated Absolutely. from custody and suddenly out on their own in the world. And uh, whether that's the military or college or mm-hmm. a certification, we're always here for them. We take care of them past twenty one. Sure, they know that the doors open. I know all of my staff. Phones blow up all the time with former mm-hmm. kids that need, you know, they need help with something. They need rent. They need somebody to talk to or, yeah. you know, or something exciting to tell them about. So that's I, one of the things that's kept me around so long and is I always look at our organization as being very, we, we roll with the changing tide of child sure. welfare. We think outside the box. We, um, we come up with new and innovative ideas, ways of doing things. And, and we have that ability because we're, we're out here doing every day. Yeah. And, and my staff are excellent at identifying, hey, I think we need to do this or this might work better. And um, I think all of us stick around because of that flexibility and, and being able to, you know, six years ago we decided – well, let's have a higher ed program. Sure. We've got some donations we can use to pay these kids to go to college. And and it's not just here's some money, go live in a dorm. Mm-hmm. It's we're going to pay for everything. You're going to live with us. We're going to give you some wraparound services that yep. first year when it's more than likely you would drop out if you were in a dorm. We're going to provide you with transportation, books, whatever you need mm-hmm. to get through that first year of college. And, and we usually start our boys out at a smaller community college just mm-hmm. because that's not as intimidating as yeah. a big campus. Um, but you know, we're the first really that we know of anywhere to do that. And when we were looking at program models and trying to put together a program guide, we couldn't find anybody else who had had done it. And while that was intimidating and we're still learning, um, you know, we're real proud of the fact that we just, let's just do this college program. That's the thing. That's (laughs) everybody's crazy until something works, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's an innovator until, oh, that, that did work. I didn't mean it when I said you were out of your mind. Like right. I was, that was something else I was talking about. Yeah, and well, that, we do love the, that. To piggyback off of what Janice was saying, that, that one of the biggest needs we see with our with with our young men there is once they complete their uh, high school, and what normally what we do is we get most of the kids at the ages of fourteen to twenty, mm-hmm. and the state says we can keep them up to twenty one, and then they have to be emancipated and leave. Uh, but normally our average stay is around two, two and a half years at the settlement with mm-hmm. the kids, some, mostly three. I've had some four. Uh, one of our kids, he was there five years, and he's the one that's active duty Army. 
But once they identify a career path, whether it's military, uh, college learning or trade, or a four-year institution, um, the, th- the biggest thing is my kids, your kid, her kid, they can go to college and come home. Sure. Uh, and what we found out was there was no place for our kids to stay once once the dorm closes. Yeah. If you're a foster kid, where are you going? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You, you don't have any place to go. And that's just as bad as just being not great at school. Like, you just, yeah, that's. Yeah. And that's why they, that, that scholarship home is very important because it gives our kids an opportunity that, that want to go on for a four-year um high school uh, four-year degree it gives them a place that they can go and you have some somebody there because i can't tell you how i made it through troy i i just can't you know what i'm saying i, I don't I have a master's from troy but i can't tell you for those four five years i was there and i was in the military married mm-hmm. divorced and all that i can't tell you how i made it through troy university uh, but one of the things you said earlier justin was that we are sold on the fact that we all of us need to go to school and get a four-year degree i didn't realize that the AC man that comes that used to be that used to haul junk yeah. makes about ten or twelve thousand dollars a month, and he told our kids, and I've got two in HVAC, and they perked up, you know, and yeah. and, and it's and I couldn't imagine going out on my own, you know, like he did because it takes a special person to say I'm gonna leave the confines or comfort of a paycheck of and of not knowing you got to feed kids and go out, but he makes in one month. Well, we probably making two, you know what I'm yeah. saying, or three. And but that's the thing. Like, for me, like, I worked, I've always been a photographer. I've always been in marketing and design. Um, I worked for, I won't say the name of the company. I worked for a pet supply company that's pretty big in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and my biggest, like, I was doing the local part-time at the time. Like, I had this office, and I just come up here after work every day. And then I go home around 9 and eventually all that groundwork that I've been doing behind the scenes and outside of work hours started producing more fruit than the mandatory work hours. And once I realized that, I was like, oh, but it, it was also like, is a good opportunity or a good, good way to do it rather than just be like, all right, I've worked here for 10 years. I'm just going to turn this switch off and turn this one on and go into business for myself. Like if you can incubate it some way, that's super amazing way to do it. And I kind of wish there was more business incubation opportunities in Dothan. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Montgomery has a super solid one with their chamber of commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's tricky. Like for young kids that either want to do a trade and want to work for themselves or be self-employed, mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of, um, there's not a lot of infrastructure to help them get to that point besides just going to the chamber and talking to Dean Mitchell or Matt or one of those people. Um, but but I feel like, well, that's where we try to focus on building the community. Yeah. And, and that's why, um, you know, that's why events like this are so important. Just sure. talking to you, getting the word out that, you know, our kids grow up, they need to be given a chance. And, and I think that was, you know, getting back to the traveling mural, um, mm-hmm. You know, we want the community to to all come together, and and I think the idea behind the mural was that art tends to bring people together. Mm-hmm. Events yeah. like that tend to to everybody can put aside their differences and look at something beautiful. For sure. And um, you know, in, in our eyes, our kids are beautiful, and we want our our communities to understand 
you know, look at our kids, give them a chance. Absolutely. Build a build a solid foundation. We can do that, but when they leave us, they need a community. Yeah, and kids are um, all kids are influenced by the world around them, mm-hmm. and people doesn't don't always realize that it doesn't matter if you're like having a one-on-one conversation or if you pass them in the grocery store or if you just see them in traffic, you're a part of that world. Mm-hmm. And if I can drive through this ridiculous construction zone that's sitting outside my office right now. It's been going on forever. And <laughs> I don't want to strangle everybody yeah. between here and the house. Um, I feel like I'm doing good. Yeah. But some days I get home and I'm just inconsolable about how bad traffic was and something that minute can send somebody not necessarily over the edge, but like can change the, your mood for the rest of the afternoon. Mm-hmm. People don't realize how much of a footprint they leave when they just walk through your life. Right. And with you guys doing what you're doing, I feel like that's a lot more important than what I do. But at the same time, like it feels like it goes in the same, like we're all fighting the same fight. We're all, we can't do this alone. We've got to have community support. You know, of course, donations are a big part of our lives. Um, We couldn't be, we couldn't do anything we do without it. We, we um, subsidize every single program we have way above and beyond what, any contractor grant pays yeah. us. Um, I think, you know, just to throw out a number, just one program alone, we probably subsidize Headland $200,000 a year above mm-hmm. anything, you know, and um, we get, you know, the state gets, pays us $13 a day to take yeah. care of a kid in care, and you can't feed a 17-year-old boy for $13 a day. I have a weird question that you may or may not know the answer to, and I can Google it if we really want to find out, but Maybe I don't need to ask this on the podcast. How much does it cost to keep a prisoner fed and clothed? And I used to know that. In comparison to foster care. Uh, unfortunately, I think about 10 times more. Mm-hmm. And That's what um, I think. unfortunately, mm-hmm. I'll, the, the community that children that grow up at a disadvantage find yep. is prison. Yep. And um, so why aren't we spending the money on the front side? Um, I think I know the answer to that, but I don't want to get into it. Probably don't need to go show. down that path. Yeah, you're um, right. So, yeah, let's get back to the mural. But, no, I mean, like... <laughs> uh, this is just, safe one. <laughs> yeah, no. It, I'm real bad about the old bait and switch. Yeah. No, I'm, a, I'm such an advocate for for kids being able to grow up in a safe environment, whether it's their home, a friend's home. My dad lived on a park bench for a little bit when he was coming out of high school. Like I did some stints where I slept in some bushes for a little bit just because it was easier. It was more comfortable to do that than it was to go wherever else I could go. Um, and I think the, the idea of safety, the idea of safety is, is, as important if not more important than the actual safety itself Mm -hmm. Um, when you grow up in in an environment where nothing stays the same it's hard to be comfortable there Mm -hmm. because you don't know what's coming next Mm. Um, and like when you end up when a child ends up in foster care everything that was a constant that was familiar and that could be viewed as comforting that gets moved gets removed and moving i feel like the group home situation and i know people that have uh fostered kids on their own um and done great jobs with a um, friend of mine wallace ash and his wife they um Mm. 
they've done a heck of a job. They had a kid. I think he's graduated by now, but we worked together for a while. And like, he was that kid's father, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, Foster homes are crucial. And that's a crucial part of our ministry is finding families that are, you know, um, obviously, um, no child should ever have to go up in a group home, sure. but no child should experience abuse and neglect either. So sure. we would love all of our children to have a foster home that's there for them past 21 and, mm-hmm. and that's their family and their yeah. forever family. But, and a lot of, I mean, a lot of those relationships don't go by the wayside when they turn 21. They like, don't. And, you, well, and if I, I grew up with a, a buddy that I shared a room with, mm-hmm. like at a certain, like after two or three years, I mean, that's, family. that's family. Like, that's and our kids form a family. You know, one of the things we started doing about eight or nine years ago that to me has been the heart of, of what we do is taking our kids once a year. We all go somewhere fun, whether mm-hmm. it's the beach um, to a, you know, a camp or to the Lake Martin. We've gone several times and we go for the weekend. We mm-hmm. call it our awards weekend. Yeah. Um, I hate to say this because in the real world, I don't like this idea, but our kids, everybody gets an award for yeah. something for the year because generally they're not picked for any awards at school. Well, also each kid is special and they and, deserve and, to be recognized for whatever that's special. And that's what we do. We, is. whether it's, you know, they get nominated because they kept the room clean for two weeks, whatever sure. it is. And we have a catered meal. We all get dressed up. We do a very fancy awards Real presentation. Nice. We play a lot of basketball. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of swimming. Ride on the boats. We ride <laughs> boats and um, we have wonderful volunteers that help us with that. But our children began, once we started doing that, they started to form their own their own village. Yeah. And so we've got young men at our group home here that'll go to Mobile and take our girls to prom. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got staff that'll drive them. They'll rent limos. They'll get tuxedos and mm-hmm. we'll get them all made up um, because those boys out there know those girls aren't going to get asked to prom. For and sure. so yeah. that has really created such... I mean, I've had kids tell me, well, I hope the judge doesn't send me home until after our next mission trip because they want to go, you know, on the mission trip. Once a year, we take them on a mission trip. We couldn't do it last year, obviously. Um, but we, we go somewhere that's that's mission-oriented so they feel a part of the bigger world. Yeah, um, they yeah. can give back to a community, but we have fun. We've done Washington, D.C., Chicago, New York City, the Bahamas, New Mexico. New Mexico. Well, more um, fun stuff and, like, more enlightening things that you can get kids to experience like that sticks with them forever i remember fishing trips that i went on with my dad that that dude probably has no recollection of we flew our kids to new york city the year that was the first time we flown our kids on a mission trip first time you've been on a plane and and not i think none of them that Mm -hmm. year 30 kids had not been on a plane and um you know we uh, I I aged about twenty years in the process of that, but it was a fantastic that experience. Very nerve wracking. Yeah, because um, yeah, we flew mm-hmm. Southwest with no assigned seating, so it was just. A, oh wow! Um, but it was fantastic, and the kids shine. they just absolutely shine yeah, in those shine. moments of chaos, and so we. Um, well, chaos to us is it's calming. Definitely not <laughs> chaos to them. No, you know what I mean. So we've we've really instituted that, and throughout all of our programs, a sense of community. Um, you know, just they all sort of keep in touch with each other. Our higher ed, interestingly enough, the largest 
number of referrals we get for our higher ed program because you don't have to have grown up with us yeah. to go to our college program. Mm -hmm. um, you could just be what we call a sofa surfer. Most of our kids mm -hmm. have lived with a football coach or a high school counselor yeah. or a neighbor or Friends, a grandmother. Um, but they refer each other. You know, they find out about us. They have this network where they just are referring each other. Yeah. Hey, call Miss Janet and see if she can get you in the college program. Um, that's been amazing to me that these kids have a network. And so um, that's that's really, you know, bringing kids together to form their own support system, bringing art to the communities to bring communities together and put aside everything else for just a minute and say, let's focus on the beauty of what we're doing with these kids. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Like people don't take the time a lot of times to step back and look at the wake that their boat made in the water. Mm -hmm. But you never know, like you really never know who you've impacted and who you haven't just by being the people that you are. Um, I learned that I was a Baptist Sunday school teacher for a little bit and uh, ran into one of my old Sunday school students not too long ago. And he was like, yeah, you did this one lesson about, I can't remember what it was about, but he was like, it stuck with me. And like, that's kind of how I like, that's my moral, that's one of the main things in my moral compass now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you don't know how somebody, I think it was, you don't know how somebody has been treated. So don't, pile on to that do no right. harm yeah right leave do it no better harm. than you found it exactly the um one of the biggest things uh, like janet said is here in 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 dothan i can say and the commitment of the um of embrace alabama kids formerly united methodist children's home their commitment to the kids they serve is uh unsurpassed the uh donors here mm -hmm. are, are very generous they they uh do a good job at supporting um, our our vision and our mission. We got a lot of donors here in Dothan and the Wiregrass area that 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 are beautiful people, beautiful. Um, and we couldn't do what we do without our staff. My, sure. my staff, uh, it, I, they're they're good. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we have some degreed, you know, uh, but you don't have to have a degree to take care of a kid. Um, but what, like you said, as far as the footprint, what I what I try to do is leave it better than I found it. Leave the kid better than yep. than I found him. And one of the biggest things I know, I think you, uh, I don't know if you ever went to the Boys and Girls Club. Oh yeah. Uh, well, um, Philip uh, Gilly mm -hmm. um, and and Charlie Kemp were big, and his, his brother Tim were big uh, influencers in my life. But what what uh, what makes me do what I do is one of the biggest influences in my life was Jim Lofton. I don't know if you knew you might big Jim. Big Jim. Big yeah. Jim was my big brother. Okay. Uh, big Jim was my big brother from the Boys and Girls Club. Charlie Kemp recognized I was an at-risk kid. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have a father figure in the house. My mother uh, was killed in front of the house when I was about a year and a half, and my sister was six months, so grandmother had to take us. Mm -hmm. if, uh, the day, I didn't realize this, Janet, and found it out. The day that they were supposed to give us to the social service for us to go into foster care, grandmother said she couldn't do it. Yeah. So she took us. And um, Charlie, he, he, he saw something in me. And so the cultural stuff that I did with Jim and, uh, and, and Harrison Parrish uh, is some of the things I try to impart to these kids. And it, it changed my perspective going with him every Saturday or Sunday from the time I was six until I was 18 to Alabama games and um, all over. Those are the things that I, I had friends that had dads in the neighborhood and a mother. Yeah. I didn't have either one. But the things that I was able to do and see with some of the things that I take our kids to do and see it's the model that I built off of that because these if you can just know that there's a better way for sure. and, and see things, it changes your perspective if mm -hmm. you get out the neighborhood and see certain things. So uh, I, I owe a lot to the Wiregrass, to the Boys and Girls Club, and to 
uh, Charlie Camp and Jim Lofton and Harrison uh, Parish and Mary Lewis and my grandmother. She was instrumental, very instrumental in what I do for these kids. Yeah. So I try to raise them and or guide them the same way I was guided. Yeah, that's I mean, being able to recognize at risk kids um, plays a huge part in like how I live. Like I went through some banana scenarios when I was younger um, that I probably won't ever talk about all of them on this show just because like for one there some there's some there's some dirty stuff in there like some very embarrassing stuff like not like i got caught with nudes or whatever you know what I mean? it wasn't like some calendar shoot that got leaked but uh i mean there's a lot of behaviors that i don't really care to uh publicly talk about just because i don't want to give anybody else any bad ideas um but having people that recognize what an at-risk kid looks like, not what T-shirt they're wearing, mm-hmm. not what color they are, not what their hair looks like, but just be able to look in a kid's face and be like, mm-hmm. something ain't working at home. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many kids that go through life not knowing that something's wrong at home and just thinking that's normal for everybody, mm-hmm. that having advocates outside of the home looking for that and like I'm the type of dude that's like I will stop if I see a dad flipping out on a kid like at Home Depot in the parking lot I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna stare at this dude I'm gonna see how far he takes it and depending on how far that goes I may or may not involve myself which is I think a character flaw on myself because like at a certain point mind your own business and yada 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 and you don't know what's led up to this situation but I don't know like I don't uh, I don't think there's ever a reason to get super gnarly with a child, especially in public. Um, my mentality is if you're willing to do this in broad daylight in front of everybody else, mm-hmm. what's going on in the house? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like knowing, I think, I don't think enough kids know that there's this many or that many adults that are willing to go up to bat for them without even knowing who they are. Yeah. Um, Having people like you guys and um, Pam Miles over at the um, Exchange Center mm-hmm. are invaluable to the area because, like, if if I don't know what the statistics are about child abuse or about just kids living in not ideal conditions, and ideal conditions are different for different families, obviously. Um, but if the the ground basis of what you need to survive if those things aren't being met and i can help meet those needs for a kid whether it's like an anonymous donation or doing this and like getting information out to people that may know of a child that could benefit from your programs like i'm doing that all day every day Um, well and i think you know the scary thing is um i've been doing this for a long time and um our foster care numbers are rising exponentially in this state. And Do you think, did you guys see a lot of um, upswing and need during uh, the pandemic shutdown? No, I, you know, the, I think the need is for foster homes because we're getting so many referrals that we can't even touch. Yeah. And um, the problem was during what, one of the bigger issues during the shutdown was the inability to go out, recruit, train, and license foster homes. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, you know, we've we've got some fantastic 
unreal foster parents in this city alone. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to do an episode with, with one of our longest time foster parents. She's <laughs> amazing. Um, but you know, she's, they're, they're old and they're tired and they've yeah. done it forever. And, uh, you know, we need new people and we need, um, new avenues to, which is why we're trying to do so many home-based programs to keep children from coming yeah. into foster care. And, um, well, if a kid can be faced, be safe and taken care of at home home, that's ideal ideal. for the development of everybody in the family and i think that's why you know again um been here since 1999 the name change is certainly something i'm having to get used to (laughs) but i think our new name truly speaks to what our ceo dr horn says all the time we raise children where we find them Mm -hmm. and i think embrace alabama kids to me reminds me every day let's you know we are embracing kids and families where we find them we're not you know back in the olden days when i started we weren't not just us but most agencies were not community-based they were one big campus baptist children's home was in troy Mm -hmm. united methodist children's home was in selma um and we were taking kids and raising them somewhere else and now we're focused on let's find them where they are try to find that support system. There's got to be somebody they're familiar with mm-hmm. and, and raise them where we find them yeah. and embrace them there instead of saying, well, now you've got to come live over here and do this this way. Let's embrace them where, where we yeah. find them. Like for, as a kid that got transplanted very abruptly um, when I was seven, it was tough. Like I went from Syracuse, New York to Dixie Drive in Dothan, Alabama. So like moving yeah. from a place where racism wasn't, it wasn't even that it wasn't talked about. It just wasn't nearly what it is here. When you have the history that the South has, that comes with its own set of problems. Mm-hmm. But I grew up in a household that you hated people for what they did to you, that you didn't hate them because of what they looked like or what they had that you didn't or whatever it was. you just like, if you want what that person has, you work for it and you figure out a way to obtain it. You mm. don't, I don't know. I'm real good at hating on people though, because it's hilarious when I do it. Like, I had to grow. I had to be real nimble with my mouth when I was younger. Like I had to, I had to be able to talk myself. I would talk myself into all sorts of terrible situations, but learning how to talk myself out mm-hmm. was way more valuable than figuring out how to get in there. You to be witty. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You got to be witty, and you got to be, um, you got to be able to make the entire room laugh instead of just two people. And once you can get get an engaged audience. And we try to do that with our kids. We try to, we mm-hmm. implemented a, a sort of an agency-wide program model of love and logic and rolling with the punches. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to engage in a power struggle. And, and helping children, you know, one of the, the most incredible things I think John's done recently, um, and I, I sort of laughed when he brought it up at first, but he hired a, a tr- professional trainer to come out and do etiquette classes with mm-hmm. the boys. And what was amazing about that process was a couple weeks into it she said i'm here to teach you know manners and all of this she said but i've noticed conflict resolution is an issue and communicating differences without getting into an argument so she stopped and started Mm -hmm. focusing on that and of course then the manners sort of came naturally and Mm -hmm. you know but i just thought it was amazing that even even her perspective coming in saying look we've got to teach children how to argue reasonably and sure. and disagree agree to disagree and so that process and it helped our staff too you know just sort of hey it's okay that we're all thinking different but let's not hate each other for yeah. it you know and um 
we really we we really try to do some creative things like that around. That's one of the our things I never learned as a kid. It was every conflict was an argument, and it didn't matter if it was because you were late to school or like growing up as like the way I did. I would be in trouble, and then it would be somebody else's fault. <laughs> it would be, but I wouldn't like <laughs> let them take the heat for it. I'm like, well, I'm already in ISS or whatever. I'll just add four days. Like it's no big deal. I'll just hang out. I don't mind this cubicle at all. Um, but a lot of it would be very, very primed for an explosive confrontation. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to like adults not being trained in conflict resolution as well as the, the kids and kids. They've, they've never had the opportunity to have conflicts resolved in a reasonable manner depending on what kind of household they came up in. And I mean, it could be anything from, um, first off, I don't want this to sound like every kid that you guys get is because they were in an abusive household. Like I realize there's so many other avenues mm -hmm. that kids take to wind up under your care. Um, and I feel like a lot of people don't understand that too. So when you hear foster care child, you immediately slap some weird label on them that you don't know anything about any of the situation that wound them up to land in y'all's building or under your care. That's usually, um, we do a really intensive foster parent training and we also do it with incoming staff. Mm -hmm. um, just a gentle reminder that um, a child's not in foster care because they did something bad. A child's sure. in foster care because something bad happened to them. Yeah. And we have to flip that for a lot of people because it's like, oh, he's in foster care. And sure. um, so, you know, we want people to keep that in mind that and, and even if they do act in a certain way it's just because there's some need that's not being met and yeah. and we as the professionals have to get to the heart of why what need is it what are mm -hmm. we missing here with this yeah. child and um so yeah we've we've got children that have been in you know unfortunately 14 15 16 20 different placements before they come to us and mm -hmm. And the idea of a family is horrendous. Um, they've been rejected 20 times. Yeah, so and let's not get our hopes up for this so one. So they, they are very much um, comfortable in a setting. We, we don't call ourselves really a group home. We're a home, but, you know, we are a group home. And um, But that's safe to them yeah. because there's not somebody they have to pretend to love. And, you know, and so um, it's well, very it's a lot much, more honest when everybody's. When everybody's dealt the same hand, not necessarily the exact same variables that mm -hmm. got them there, but when everybody's in the same boat, you immediately have a bond because you realize like, oh, like these are going to be the constant people in my life. This is who I need to establish trust with. This is who I need mm -hmm. to establish a good rapport with and be able to have conflict resolution that doesn't turn into some weirdness or like feelings that linger for way too long and then turn into something weird later. <laughs> that takes a while. Uh, but now one of the things that I will express is our kids at the settlement, um, they have their own room. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found was, was something once, once you get a kid in and he gets his own room, it's him. They have their own personal room and it's his stuff. Yeah. You know, just, the, just the, the comfort of having my stuff yeah. and just a flat, a hundred dollar flat screen TV makes a world of difference with some cable on it yep. uh, this is mine and, yep. and they take ownership of and it and they have 
physical boundaries that show you exactly what where their stuff starts. Where their stuff starts. Because you can close your door. Yep. That, that, this is their room here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my, my my kids, uh, my wife and I, uh, Lord, um, uh, Katrina, Maglon, yep. uh, she, she takes as much time uh, at, with the kids as I do, and they're very hard on me when I when I have to uh, give the kids boundaries and, yeah. and, and consequences for behavior. Sure, yeah, yeah. I have to go home and listen to my daughter and my wife, or one of my daughters and my wife, complain about it. Sure. Uh, because the boys are very near and dear to their hearts as well. Um, I'll give you one thing about while we're talking about one of the kids in the military. I ain't going to give his name. Sure. But he, 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 he was with me for several years, and I came to the point where I was going to put him out. I, I just was, was tired of it. And my daughter, who's now working as an intern with us, she, um, she's getting her master's in um, social work. Uh, she was like, Dad, if you put him out, uh, I'm, I'm going to run away and I'm not coming back. And so I had to listen to my wife and them complain. I was like, no, nah, I'm, just, I'm just tired. I, I, I've done all I can. Mm-hmm. I decided not to, and I talked to Janet, and she was like, it's your choice. And I talked to her, and, and I didn't. And I had him for about four or five years. And lo and behold, I kept on talking to him about going to the military. So he gets up and he's going to just finally make up his mind. He's going to go. He's supposed to be going to the to the army. And he he's if you know this kid, know he's kind of sort of like a sort of like Forrest Gump or something. Sure. He he walks over. They take him over and he's going. He's been talking to an army recruiter. Yeah. Been talking and they, he's getting ready to go in. You know where the cruise station is down here? Yeah. He makes his way into by by accident to the Marine Corps recruit stuff. Oh no, that's a world of difference. Yeah, he walked in and 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 figured out he was in the wrong place. I think sat down about fifteen minutes and talked to the guy that wasn't the same guy he was talking Some to. And he white goes, pants, man. And he goes, well, I, 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 since I'm here, I might as well just go on and join. And he did four or five years in the Marines. He he, he joined the Marines. Changed his life. Changed his life. He, he he's um going to school to do something with truck driving or something and he got out he's going to be on border patrol yeah and um he comes by that's the one she's talking about comes to spend thanksgiving and christmas with us yeah um real good kid kid. dude and just the the influence that he has on the other kids that are there those kids don't even realize it but that's reinforcing the idea that you're trustworthy you're somebody that they can invest their their life with basically because at a certain point Depending, you said you get them 14 to 21, give or take? 14 to 20. Yeah. Uh, 21, we have to that's discharge. Right. Um, but I mean, that's 25% of their life at that point. And yeah. that's half of their life that they can remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, we, and we packed, um, the funniest part about that young man <laughs> was the year before we had another young man that joined the Marines. Now, he told us he was going to join the Marines. Oh, yeah. And he shipped off to Paris Island, made it through uh, basic training, and we got we were getting word from his platoon unit that he was you know doing fine, how communicating with him, mm-hmm. and told us when graduation was. We packed all ten of those boys up, drove three Paris vans Island. and a couple of cars to Paris Island for his graduation. That's awesome. It was in August. It was probably four hundred degrees, thousand degrees, for sure. flooding rain, flooding rain, and the young man that he was just referring to complain bitterly the whole time man this is the stupidest thing i've ever done can't believe he picked the marines he should have gone to college blah 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 and, and um, a year later he's there a year later we he's there and we packed all <laughs> 10 of the boys him. up and went to went his to graduation Listen, when i when i was a kid if somebody had walked up to me and be like hey if you want to join this crew for i don't know four years we'll pay for all your college I probably would have jumped on it and I probably would have taken college a lot more seriously than I did. Um, I didn't know what I was doing when I was that age. Like, I don't think a lot of kids do. We don't. 
Um, no, and that's why we expanded our higher education program beyond 21. Yeah. Um, we've got a young man now that we're putting through college. He was with us in his teens, called us at 24 a couple of years ago and said, I think I'm ready for college. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're, that's fantastic. Yeah. What do you need us to do to get you there? And um, and he's he's finishing college, and we're there to support him. He's you know obviously mature enough, and um, but yeah, we're we're not we're not decide at nineteen or else. We're yeah, you know, yeah. hey, we're still well, here. And a lot of kids that have experienced trauma go into the state of like almost arrested development for mm-hmm. a period. They do. And for me, like, I was, I don't know. 25 before I realized like maybe maybe you should start putting one foot in front of the other to actually go somewhere instead of going to party you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. that's all I had to do was wake up and hang out go to work for a little bit and then go back to the party that I was that I just left a few hours ago so like it was one of those I don't know like I don't obviously I don't carry myself as the most mature dude in the room. Like I'm wearing shorts and a tie dye t-shirt, <laughs> but I feel like, I don't know because everybody's, and this is going to sound like some straight up kumbaya nonsense, uh, that 10 years ago you would never, you would have never heard out of me. Um, each kid is, and most kids are going to argue with me about this anyway. There, there's such a delicate balance of being an individual, but also being somebody else's child that you have to carry for a certain amount of time until either the relationship with the parent goes sideways Mm -hmm. or you just become your own person and then you and your parents become peers instead of Mm -hmm. this, like this overlord and child scenario, which I'm still in that. Like I borrowed my parents' lawnmower yesterday (laughs) and this is a real story. I was talking to my stepdad and he was like, well, do you have a gas can to fill this thing up? And I was like, well, it's on a trailer. I was going to pull through the gas station, fill it up. (laughs) This dude made a, I might as well have farted in his face. His eyes scrunched up so much. He was like, Oh, I wish you hadn't said that. It was like, I just like thrown his favorite pants in the trash. We're just trying to come up, just trying to fathom that I would fill up a gas fill up a tank on a lawnmower at the the gas gas station station while it's on the trailer that I'm pulling it on. I don't know if you've ever seen a lawn service at the gas station, but they're there for about 45 minutes filling up each one of those machines and then a bunch of cans. Anyway, since I've moved out of his house, I've had a commercial driver's license. I've driven, I've probably backed a trailer farther than he's driven forward. (laughs) And, like, the idea of him giving me advice on how to do things in the tangible world that he was never really great at himself, mm-hmm. it kind of erodes the the idea that it's because he cares about you and it's more that he needs you to do it his way or you're wrong. Right. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of kids don't realize that most of that is because is coming from a place of love mm-hmm. where I didn't that thought never crossed my mind as a kid. And it was like, Oh, this dude just wants to control every aspect of what I do. And it still is very much that same the same dynamic of like parent and child, not, not a, um, not two adults that both have the same voting rights that both get the same repercussions when they commit crimes, 
both have the same responsibility mm-hmm. to get to where they're going when they say they're going to be there. There's none of the, like, he doesn't see any of that in me. And I think that's one of the reasons that I don't go out of my way to seek that approval anymore. And with you guys, you create such a strong relationship dynamic that it's almost impossible to go through life and not think about the people that made you that you want to make proud when you get to where you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was the handful of buddies that, and my, the handful of uh, friends, parents, that instead of seeing like a wise-ass kid that just kicked in the door like Urkel every day <laughs> and just acted a fool all the time, like realize that like I was looking at a bunch of 90s kids TV shows as far as who's the most lovable character. And it was always that mischievous. It was always Zach Morris. It was always Steve Urkel. It was always, um, dude, it was always the kid that was a little bit like on that teetering point of like, is he going to get in trouble or is he going to get away with it? That was the most lovable character on any TV show. Those characters drove 90s television. Those three idiots on home improvement <laughs> with the bowl cuts and the mullets. All those kids were doing, they were getting in trouble. They were all middle school problems. It was all hyper relatable. But that was the focus of each episode was the kid that was getting into trouble and the resolution that came from it. So I was that kid trying to emulate all these weird, subtle nuances of being a mischievous kid, but still trying to be lovable, but not really knowing what that was. So you just lean into what you know, like, yeah, set this trash can on fire by accident or like just goofy stuff that while it seemed harmless at the time was very much like walking in directions that weren't leading to anywhere positive. And yeah, like eventually being or feeling like you're that mischievous kid wears on the parents and they're like, we don't want you hanging out with this kid anymore. Like it's escalated Mm -hmm. for him just like knocking on doors and running to like now he's like stealing mail for no reason. It's stealing mail. They never got like that. But like, <laughs> no, that's a federal crime. We can't yeah. talk about yeah. that. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, it didn't get like that, Justin. No, like but I mean, little little steps towards mischief erode away some of that cognitive awareness of like, what are you really doing, and where does this lead? And when you're looking for any kind of attention as a kid, which is what I was doing, um, yeah, you, you just, don't care if it's positive or negative. You're no, just I mean, you're just looking for somebody to be like. I realize you exist mm-hmm. and yeah, it's, people don't understand the impact that they make on other people's lives. Um, we hope we make a big impact and like, like we I, dude, if you see. got people calling you after they graduate <laughs> and want to go back to school, like yeah. y'all have done the job for that kid. Now, while it's definitely tireless and in a lot of ways, thankless as far as a job, mm-hmm. you guys, very much I mean I can tell just from talking to you for the last two hours you guys respect the craft and what you're doing and mm-hmm. you understand the imperativeness of letting kids develop in a safe mm-hmm. environment whether that's safe from abuse or just not living in the backseat of a car with a parent that mm-hmm. can't make ends meet for whatever reason um, being able to provide uh, infrastructure and a family, a legit family basis, um, 
there's there's no from my experience there's no better bond that you get from being stuck in the same situation as somebody else mm-hmm. regardless how you got there right. those people you have each other's back like nobody else and I've read stories and I forget I was talking about this with somebody the other day and they were referencing a book it was a, it was a police officer friend of mine he was referencing a book I can't remember uh, man is it We Are Blood it's some some book about a police officer that went into an undercover situation and infiltrated some super gnarly gang. I don't know what gang it was. We'll call it the MS 13. Cause I don't think they're getting enough press nowadays. <laughs> um, but he gets in super deep. He's a narcotics officer. He's trying to get the Pablo Escobar of this particular ring. What he finds out is the longer he's in, he starts having moral dilemmas of like, okay, I understand. I can empathize with this person because they're here and they got here because of this. Mm-hmm. While this dude is considered a bad guy for what I do for a living, he's also beat the crap out of somebody that was about to hit me over the head with a bottle. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of the dudes that I work with on a re- or used to work with on like the beat wouldn't, wouldn't have done that for me. Right. And when you get into that, we're all here because we're not all there situation. You start recognizing yourselves and others. Um, whether it's the idea of like safety in numbers or, and I think that's my, that may be a lot of it. Or if it's just like, this is what we got. Yeah. Um, I think what you touched on was important. Also, we really spend a lot of time working with our staff and our kids, um, understanding that, you know, I truly believe that no one just wakes up and decides to be a bad parent. No. And there, and so that's why we put so much emphasis on home-based programs as mm-hmm. well, because parents, we want them to, to be the best parent they Absolutely. can be. And, um, and so we, we spend a lot of time training foster parents and staff, you know, that we never talk bad about a child's family. The biological parent, um, is frustrated as, we may get sure. by their actions or you lack. You still want them to be a successful you parent. You still want to be positive about it and mm-hmm. let that child know that we're pulling for them to be a better parent mm-hmm. too. And, and you know, it's, they're not there yet, but we're working. Sure. And, you know, I think one of the, I'm not, I'm not an emotional person, but um, John and his staff have done such a fantastic job getting the boys involved in community things. And we had one year where I think we had four seniors starting on the football team and, uh, they always, you know, ask our staff to be parents for senior night because you got to walk out with your parents, yeah. and that's, you know, a struggle. But we do it, and we take pictures, and we're proud. And I, I pull up one day, and it's I came down for the game and pull up, and senior night, and we've got two seniors on the field, and the staff had all gone and gotten T-shirts with the boys, you know, proud parent yeah. of number 12 and the t- pictures on the buttons mm-hmm. and everything. And I thought, you know – who does that? Like, I mean, and, and, um, so even though the boys know we're not mom and dad, sure. We're, we're there for them. But the other thing is you've done this, you've both done this for, you say you started what? 2007. Uh, well, actually I started doing this in like 2000, yeah, he's, but uh, I've he's been, been working doing with UMCH for, for like 2012. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like you've had, 
and this is going to sound silly, but you've had so many opportunities to be a parent to so many kids that you've probably created a very successful program. And it's like anything else. Like the, you go out and change a tire might take you an hour the first time, but by the 50th or 60th time, you know mm-hmm. what problems to look for so you can prevent a lot of other problems. She definitely does. <laughs> she keeps me on track. Um, Janet, real quick, I, I know we've talked about it, but Justin has a, 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 a large audience. What are some of the criteria cause we, that we have to get into our scholarship program? Because we have a girls and a, and a boys. I know yeah. you know that better than I do. Yeah, just uh, I don't think people in this part of the world are familiar with it, but of course we serve children all over the state of Alabama mm-hmm. through all of our programs. But um, in Tuscaloosa, we we have our male program in Tuscaloosa. They attend Shelton State, uh, UA, or Stillman, and um, the only criteria is they have to have a 2.0, maintain a 2.0. That's not bad. Um, mm-hmm. If they fall below that, we don't kick them out. You know, we work through whatever we support they need. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have to have a 2.5 coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. If they don't have a 2.5, we'll still work with them. Um, it's just a different pot of money that we sure. use, and so. They, the only criteria is they had to have had an alternate living arrangement growing up. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, mm-hmm. football coaches, counselors. We've got... Um, the bushes, somebody's yeah, car. Right? Yeah, park bench. Yeah. And then our girls program is in Florence, and they attend University of North Alabama. Oh, right. And um, we've had three girls I know of that all lived with their high school guidance counselor. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just... My high school guidance counselor, Carla... Uh, I almost said Woodall. Carla Goodman. Um, she was so rad. Uh, she was she was one of the first people that saw like what I was doing and realized like oh this dude isn't just trying to see the world burn like there's something going on mm-hmm. let's let's get let, instead of letting him stay in that situation and turn whatever he's going through into a behavioral issue which it would have become mm-hmm. she just told me like if you're uh if you're having issues with anything, raise your hand, walk to the front of the class, whisper whatever it is into the teacher's ear. I'm sending a note to your entire schedule that you're allowed to do this and just come straight to my office. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, there's a strong chance that you're going to hurt yourself out of frustration or I just couldn't deal with things very well as a kid. Um, I was that kid that bumped his head on the floor, pitching fits and like, I mean, I'm in my, almost in my 40s, and every now and again, I'll bump, I'll run right back into that same situation. I did that when I was uh, seven or eight. I kind of grew that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I kind of grew it. But it's yeah, it's having somebody in your corner is priceless. You know what I mean? And like being able to um, just being able to have conversations without feeling like you're going to be attacked for it. It's huge, and that's what parents I think are for. But I think they have, I don't know, a lot of parents put a bunch of unnecessary pressure on themselves to be perfect because they didn't have perfect parents. Mm-hmm. And, like, maybe maybe dad liked to drink a lot or things weren't great at home. And so you kind of emulate what mom and dad did, but you want to do a better job of it. So you let some things slide that maybe shouldn't. I don't know. I'm speculating on a bunch of broad stroke issues. But... Um, well, one of the biggest things, um, they're, they're again growing up without a, a father, uh, and what I try to impart to these young men, a lot of them are, come from single parents and yeah. uh, single mother backgrounds. And one of the biggest things, uh, me growing up, 
I, I, I often uh, saw how Jim and Harrison and uh, Coach Floyd Griffin in high school, because the first time I actually seen an African-American male co- uh, mm-hmm. uh, figure in school, I was in middle school, and it was Bill Taylor and uh, my cousin James Thomas. And then you get to high school and you got one or two, Coach Donald Tribute and, and Floyd Griffin. And you watch how they interacted with their families. And I would go over to Jim's house on the weekend and how him and Marion interacted and sure. Jimbo and Courtney and him kept us. Uh, I would go over there and uh, David and I would be playing and I would watch the interaction. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I said, I want a family like that. Those are the family dynamics that I wanted. For so sure. uh, our kids, the first uh, males they really get to see and can trust is right there in the group home, yep. and I think um, you know we have a, a we we'll have a worker, Mr. Scott Brady. He does an excellent job. Um, you have Miss Joanne Williams, and also have Miss Lisa Black and Miss um, Kim Crawford. Now uh, they do a good job at supporting the kids and filling in the gap mm-hmm. uh, as parenting and, and and nurturing the young men. Uh, there's times when I have to pull a young man aside. And whisper things in his ears is not kind as a man to get him on the because when I raise my voice at him, I, ain't, I don't tell him I know love and logic. I don't tell him that he screwed up when he's uh, set the trash can on fire at school the same way I would tell him if he got an F on the on the on the paper if yeah. I talked to him fifty times. Sure. So when I talk to him, it's out of love. And then once I I, I, I tear him down, mm-hmm. I build him back up and I yeah. hug him and tell him I love you, but I'll also hold you accountable yeah and that's the biggest thing and a lot of them that's all they want is to be held accountable and people yeah they don't know they haven't had an opportunity to be proud of themselves in a lot of issues and we celebrate yeah we celebrate a lot of the things that just little things like one of the kids just made the dean's list and i and 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 you know i was proud of him and 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 i told him i said you know what i'm so proud of you but i expect that out of you Mm-hmm. I expect the dean's list out of yeah. it. Like you I'm know. not surprised no, because I knew you could do it. Because I knew he could do it. Yeah. Um, but that's what we do um, at the United Methodist Church. And I tell you, if you find something you enjoy doing, Justin, it's not it's not working. I was yeah. a boys and girls club director for a couple of years. Shot ball every day. That's it. So guess what I carpet do now? Carpet ball, man. I play. I was a carpet ball. I athlete. had one built for my boys club. I, I was don't at Andrew Bell. I, uh, matter of fact, I went over and got the measurements and and had it built because that's the. Re- Have you ever played carpet ball, Janet? Man. Guard your knuckles, girl. Man, it's, it is. Burn it your, is. Burn your whole right I was off. thinking about getting one built for us out there under the gazebo for the I boys. I thought about having they one built for it. the house. Uh, well, I, the, I'm gonna tell you who built it for me. Northview, um, and, oh, and the, shop the, class. The, the shop class built it for me, but it's so is long. That Mr. Griffin? Uh, was it him? At, it was a couple of years ago. Rusty this is like Griffin? in 2009, 2000. Uh, uh and uh, what was it? 98 and 99. I was okay. I was at Andrew Bell, so it was 98, 99. Probably Rusty Griffin. It was Rusty. Yeah. He they built it. And uh, they built me two, one for my, my, my uh, Andrew Bell and one for the Hawk Houston. And uh, the one when they got when they closed uh, Andrew Bell, they threw it away. Yeah, when they closed it down, they threw it away. It, you could have sold that thing on eBay and made a killing. Um, Every kid that went through Dothan's um, Boys and Girls Club, or it was just a boys club when I was there. Um, also. Well, yeah, carpet ball made a huge impression on me, apparently. <laughs> it did. Um, we need one, Janet. But a lot of kids, like, remember that. That's the only place I've ever seen it. Um, and a lot of places, I guess there's a real league and, like, all this, these regulations and stuff. But, like, I was talking to somebody the other day about how we did things at Charlie Camp's Boys and Girls Club and how if anybody tried to do it nowadays, like, we'd all be 
in a lot of trouble. I had two of my kids to work over there uh, to give. Um, Tavares did a, a, and I think Philip had taken over by the end. Mm-hmm. And um, they did. One of the things we try to do is get our kids to work. My wife worked over there briefly for did the she? summer. Yep. So so we get our kids to work, and and um, one of the biggest experiences in, in uh, one of the kids' lives it was working at the boys' club, mm-hmm. and and he loved it because it was the same thing with the little kids giving back and they looked up to him because you know how we look up at the staff when we were seven or eight year old somebody 16 or 18 spend time with you they're the world to you because philip was everything i knew him and tim and dale bonham yeah uh, mark kenny i mean not mark kenny steve steve uh uh mckinney they were they were like gods to yeah. us uh so um we do a lot for our kids we try to do the best we can we're not perfect sure but I, i'll say this and you can put this on your podcast we're the best at what we do in the state of Alabama. I'm committed to that. We are. UMCH or Embrace Alabama Kids is the best at what we do. And I'll challenge anybody to, 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 to try that. I mean, if you're going to do it, be the best. We're the best. We're the best. That's the way to do it. Isn't I that mean, right, Jen? Absolutely. <laughs> it's, I mean, dude, yeah. I was, uh, when did I start? I think I was eight, seven or eight when I started over there. It was Charlie Camp and... We'd get, oh, I, I can remember like it was yesterday. We'd get 50 cents. We'll get you in a Doug 2 pool. Walk all the way down there. You walk all the way. All you want to go to Babalu? That's $2.50. But you walking all the way. Was John Gunn over there with you then? I can't remember. Yeah, John and I came up together, and then he took over the, the other boys' club. We, we grew up in the club together playing ball. But those times have passed. I, I wanted our kids to experience a lot of that, playing ball in the camaraderie. Well, yeah, that summer program we, yeah, was huge. It was it was huge. We, we we tried to get our kids in the summer program. He fills up so fast um, that we that we we couldn't get our kids in. But our kids play football, um, and I think our biggest thing is with our kids now. We when they're playing football and, and, and summer stuff, we sent four of them. We for the last couple of years, we sent four of our kids to the Nick Saban camp. Oh, right. Oh, oh they love that, and um, we get to go and stand next to Nick and watch him coach. That's what <laughs> Scott said. He stood next to him, and he treats the kids just like he's coaching a college sure. kid. I've yeah. seen it. We did. Um my uncle's company, when I worked for them in the sign business, we did a bunch of murals. Uh, we did a bunch of raps at the state at Alabama stadium, mm-hmm. Brian Denny, um, like wall graphics of old, uh, forties and fifties football players. And like everybody back to like Tommy Wade and bear Bryant. That my coach really Tommy was my coach. People yeah. call it boys club. Um, that's wild. Yeah. But like, <laughs> Yeah, tons of old historical murals and, like, did all the signage for all the concessions and stuff. And that just happened to be smack dab in the middle of June and July when all that was going on. And then you'd have – remember we were working there one day and um, was riding an elevator up to the top level. And uh, Nick Saban walked in and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this is weird. Don't talk. What's up, dude? What's up with those (laughs) F-150s? How are they? (laughs) Um, well, you'll need to come to Andalusia and see our mural, um, since you've got some history with that, and and because it's a beautiful, it really is a beautiful thing. Our, a lot of our kids help participate. I'd love it. to. And if y'all ever need anything from me, um, I'm always around. Um, yeah, we had, and we did have a ceremony here a couple of weeks ago. I think we talked about that earlier. Um, we were honoring Mark Saliba. He was on our board for, well, eight years. He's a past chair. Yeah, past chair. Um, has been a fantastic source of support for me. I can call him up and 
you know, what do you need, Janet? And, yeah. you know, and I forget, oh, he's the mayor. I shouldn't be calling it's, him and it's asking funny, him. It's <laughs> funny. Yeah, like I run into that. I've known that dude for a while, like between uh, I was an ambassador for the Chamber of Commerce for a while and yeah. graduated from that, ended up being a diplomat. And then I was on the board of DAYP for a few years. Um, I've been on a bunch of boards in the last 15 years. Just I'm not sure how or why people are like, let's get Justin in here and see what he thinks about everything. Um, I think they know that if I see something weird, I don't mind discussing it. And I'll be like, why do we do it this way? Like, doesn't this seem a little redundant or couldn't we reallocate these funds that are being not necessarily misused, but couldn't we better use the same amount of money over here Mm -hmm. to get a a bigger impact on what we're, whatever it is the project is for the year. Um, I'm that I will look at a business and how it runs Mm -hmm. and be like, okay, well that's, that seems redundant. We can use these people to do this, which is probably playing better to their strengths anyway. I just look at things a lot differently than. You could probably ask everybody I work with, and they tell you the same about me. Um, but <laughs> I do think the Wiregrass has had a fantastic history of um, community support. Absolutely. Community-based support here is amazing, and we've really um, felt the love. When I started here in 1999, I live in Troy, but I, I started in Dothan, um, a woman named Margie Robertson was in mm-hmm. the, she was in charge of our foster care program and um, she lived for foster care and we lost her unfortunately um, several years ago and uh, it was just a big loss for our program because she just ate, slept, Yeah, when you live worked, and breathe it. foster care. And, yeah, well, at a certain point it becomes a lifestyle. And it was and it she and and, and it affected everybody around her. If you worked for her, you either loved it or hated it because sure. you were just all in on yep. on taking care of these kids. And uh, she was a great mentor and um, Patsy Live Oak uh, sort of took the charge after she was with the state for 36 years in mm-hmm. child welfare. I, I think that's the right number of years. It was a long time. Um, then came to work for us, and we've just had some fantastic connections here. John knows everybody in town yep. and and can reach out for help. And so we've been we've been really committed to maintaining a presence in the Wiregrass and growing here. Dothan. Anytime anybody comes in here. We always talk about the same, not the same things, obviously, every week, but um, one of the things that is always brought up is how the population of Dothan is not like anywhere else. Like, we have some of the best, most supportive families and individuals in our mm-hmm. area you'll find anywhere. Yeah. Um, to have as many nonprofits and churches that are successful in our area yeah. just speaks to the quality of the people. Absolutely. Um, and we couldn't do what we do without community supporters and other community resources. You yeah. know, we use Pam all the time. She comes and does our foster parent training for us. Yeah. We, um, we. I'm sure y'all a, talk to Walter Hill on a regular yeah, basis. Yeah, the Saliba Center. We used to. Oh, you yeah. know, we've had a lot of. We talked about Lafayette Street. Yeah. Um, we we really depend heavily. John's very involved with a lot of community organizations and um, he gets 100% into whatever the boys are doing, whether it's track or football or basketball. Sure. So. Um, and as, as you know, he's had to step away to, um, attend the graduation for one yeah. of our boys, a senior we have that's graduating today. So we don't, we don't miss a graduation or no. a, an event like today. So we're that's on hard. your way home. So it's not even bad, uh, bad no, commute at all. No, not at all. Well, so, I certainly appreciate you guys coming in today. I yeah. We um, appreciate the opportunity to Any, talk about it. Yeah. Anytime you guys have something coming up, give me a shout and I'll try to have somebody there. If not, you guys can come in and. 
talk about whatever. Well, we'd love for you to come see our program. That'd be fun. The um, boys would enjoy talking to you. And I'll roll out the headline. That's not too far. You would, um, you would enjoy hearing their stories. I'm sure. I, um, I can relate to anybody. I was a bartender for a little while. Oh, which yeah. is one of those. And you probably have a degree in therapy if you were a bartender. Essentially, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's crazy. Like, usually it's like, usually the patron would come in, be shaking his head. I'd make him his normal drink, and he just start. And it was it was always one of three things. It was money, work in general, or whatever's going on at home. Um, Only three problems a man has, or being hungry. Yeah. We'll call it hungry too. But like. Yeah. Other than that, like, they just come in, everybody's problems are the same. They don't realize it. Everything's, because you're standing in the same room as it, everything's more ridiculous for me than it is everybody else, because you're the only one that sees it that way. Right. And, yeah, it's all. Yeah, you have an advanced degree in, in, uh, in family therapy if you bartended. So, oh, yeah. you know, I, I, I've always said I, I waited on tables all in high school and through college, bartended a little bit, and, um, it was crucial in learning to read people, learning to understand oh, sure. the situation, assess the situation. And a lot of times all you got to do is tell them, you know, not everybody's going to make you happy all the time. Mm-hmm. And the way, that I, the way that I came out of a lot of weirdness as a younger tween teenager is when I realized that people aren't like not everybody's going to be the version of themselves that I need them to be 100% of the time, mm-hmm. I started realizing like, okay, if every time I go to this person for help or for fun or for whatever, if it's a drag, I'm probably not going to go back. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'll reach out to them and make sure everything's okay. Now that I'm older and like mature enough to realize like maybe there's a reason that that's that person doesn't make me happy every time I talk to mm-hmm. them. But I started, I started realizing like not every relationship is worth saving. And when you're young, those are the only relationships you have. So you can't just, you hold on close to them and with what you guys are doing and the way you treat your um, residents and kids even doing at home stuff, like you guys get it. You get the mission. You understand the importance of appropriate developmental situations and like being, it might, they might not even speak at four years old because of things that they've been through. Um, But knowing that it's not because they're a dumb kid which is what a lot of the school system when I was a kid labeled us as it's just trauma awareness is huge. And I feel like as everybody gets older and as time goes by and we realize a lot of situations that we read about in news is because of unresolved trauma or Mm -hmm. unrecognized trauma. Um, And and labels stick. And, you know, we have, um, we have a young man that we worked with for years and came to us. We weren't really even sure of his age because he didn't have a birth certificate. Um, the, we were told he was 15 and literally walked in um, our group home with a garbage bag with some dirty clothes. That sure. was all I had. And I know that that's the image everybody gets of foster care, yeah. but that was truly um, Rebecca Morris, our vice president of external affairs, just happened to be at the group home that night having dinner with the boys. Mm-hmm. And we've been telling her stories like that for years. And she sort of, you know, half believed us. And then she called me. She goes, I cannot believe I just watched this child come into this group home with a garbage bag. Like he really did. Yeah. And um, 
we were told he was on the autism spectrum. He was um, hadn't been to school since second or third grade. He cognitively delayed. I mean, the labels just went on and on and on. And once you get that first label, though, it's real hard to gain an opportunity to prove them wrong. Well, and I'm you know kudos to my staff. Dug in, found his school records in another state. Um, met with the the school superintendent. Got him in some um credit recovery yeah. and, and we were all like okay we're gonna try this but there's no way um graduated from high school in four years that's awesome it took us. me five and i was at home uh went to college community college and is uh got a certification in in welding oh man that dude and, he's um, making more money than both of us saved his money bought his own car all mm-hmm. that to say you know, we could have just stopped with, bless his heart, well, we'll just give him some, you know, but they, they didn't, and they kept on, and I've laughed with my staff. I'm like, well, y'all all have three or four high school diplomas now because we've gotten him through high school, right. you know, but um, it's just amazing what a little bit of time and attention can do to turn a kid around. Yeah, like a lot of my motivation used to be financial. Um, if I just work hard, I'll never need to ask anybody for financial help. Mm-hmm. And that's basically... All my anything that I've ever done to get to wherever it is people think I am today, because people are like, "How'd you get to where you are?" I'm like, "Dude, I am like four blocks from the house. Like, I could have walked here. Like, I don't understand the question. I don't think I've done anything outrageous to like deserve any weird community leader title, but I keep people keep asking me to host things, and <laughs> which is fun. Uh, that wittiness that I developed when I was younger comes in handy a lot. Um, but one of the things that I missed out, I, I missed the boat on completely when I was a kid, is to work for, for fulfillment. I never understood that, like, I, I would work to be able to show people that I could afford things. And that's how I would be proud of myself, by, like, showing off useless stuff that, I mean, I might be really proud of, but... If you tried to trade it in, if you tried to sell it to somebody, it'd be like, I'll give you $800, right? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. things that are valuable to me and nobody else. Um, but I didn't ever get the whole concept of work so you can be proud of yourself and be comfortable and not chase what you think the idea of success is. Absolutely. And I, I wake up every day. Every day is a different day for me. Oh, yeah. Um, and I love that because I have the opportunity to sort of reinvent what we do every day and, sure. and think outside the box and I'm blessed to work with fantastic people that think like I do and want to um, you know in no way shape or form is this just a paycheck yeah <laughs> obviously uh, it's just an opportunity to be creative and and make our own schedules and and because you know John um, is it's group home most nights because yeah. if the boys are in school it doesn't do him any good to be sitting in his office all day yeah so you know he's um certified as an assistant football coach so if we've got a boy playing football he's out on the field yeah and um you know because they need a father figure that shows interest in that mm-hmm. and he also knows that if we've got a kid having a bad day a bad visit with the family or it's an anniversary of some event or a birthday yeah. um we can look at their face and say yeah we it might be time to get on home and yeah, maybe, get some rest. Yeah. And, uh, and we've got, you know, the grace to do that with the people that work with us. Yeah. So 
that's awesome, man. I'm proud of what you guys are doing, and I'm very excited. We love to, it. Uh, we're proud of we're proud of our heritage, and we're looking forward to what the future holds with our new name. And uh, mm-hmm. but nothing's changed except our name. So, yeah. um, and except maybe the ability to continue to reinvent our our programs and yeah. what we do to serve kids. Absolutely. Um, if you want to donate or if you want to get involved, go to. Hold on, let me rattle this off. Uh, is it? EmbraceALKids.com? Dot org. Dot org. Oh, so close. You're close. We're at org now. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. But yeah, and, and um, our website is loaded with information yeah. um, about all of our programs. There's a donation button on there. And, you know, bigger, even more important than that for me is the um, more information button and mm-hmm. the referral button. Yeah. And um, I don't just get calls for referrals from Department of Human Resources I get a lot of distraught grandparents and aunts and uncles yeah. and neighbors that have also touched a child's life and mm-hmm. need some guidance. And so um, we can be reached any of those. Any in our we have a toll free number. I think I'm option number five, but um, my phone rings all day long. So all we right. love talking to people. Uh, we love speaking at events. We love talking to churches. We love for people to come see what we do. For sure. Um, so however people want to be invi- involved. We're, we're all open. More hands make less work, right? Absolutely. Well, Janet, I appreciate you coming in today. We we enjoyed it. We really appreciate the opportunity. John, I appreciate you coming in today, yeah. even though you bolted John's early. John's fantastic. I, I, I hate that he had to leave early, but high school graduation is a pretty big deal for yeah, us. Yeah, you don't want to miss that. Yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely, no problem. Anytime you guys want to come back, just let me know. And if you guys ever have anything you want to get the word out, I just need deadlines the 20th of every month. Mm-hmm. Great to meet you. Yes, ma'am. Y'all have a great weekend. Same to you. Be careful out there. I will try. If you'd like to be a guest on the Wiregrass Local podcast, give us a shout at wiregrasslocal at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Wiregrass Local or hit us up on Friendster, MySpace, or LiveJournal. That's all fake, but you know what I mean.